0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Chip. Uh, it's Big 12 Media Days week, so we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Plus, I think we're going to have an extra podcast coming in, right? You think so?
0: That's what I think we're gonna plan for everybody. I mean, we're gonna have so much great information from Big Twelve football media days. At least we hope we have lots of great information, and uh, and we'll get into some of that. We know that um, Texas is bringing Bijan Robinson, sophomore Bijan Robinson, mind you. No more seniors coming to Big Twelve football media day under Mac Brown and Tom Herman but um yeah Bijan Robinson and Keandre Coburn the loquacious hilarious rotund defensive tackle for the Texas Longhorns will will be a quote machine at Big 12 football media days and so Taylor will will talk about some of the questions that we expect will sort of come up and some questions that we've gotten on our flagship message board uh, from our incredible members at horns 24 seven. And if you're not a member at horns, 24 seven, come on, get in there, get all the inside scoop uh, on the team. And from Mike Roach and Nick Harris, they're doing a great job on the recruiting front. Um, Taylor's always breaking stuff. Jeff house, you know, voluminous in his, uh, in his analysis. So uh, get on in there and make sure that you're ready to go for football season. And, and so Taylor, when we, you know, we haven't been to big 12 football media days for a year. We, we, well, two years really, because we obviously had the pandemic last year. And so here we go off to Arlington, AT&T, AKA Cowboys stadium where the big 12 championship game will be held. And we'll be talking to all the, all the coaches and play. Well, they used to bring more players. Each team's bringing a player on offense and a player on defense. Listen, I'll take whatever we can get at this point. Let's just be talking football this, this week and we'll have another flagship podcast recapping big 12 football media days. Later in the week. So be listening uh, for that or looking for that. And also check out the flagship podcast interview with Bob Ballou, the longtime CBS sports director here in Austin. And he's been covering the Longhorns since 2007. I think you interned with Bob Ballou at KI, did you not, Taylor?
1: I did back in the day. Yeah, I think it was in 2010. I interned for Bob Ballou. It was a summer internship. So uh, there were, you know, there were kind of forced to take a lot of time off during the summer. But I'll tell you what, Bob Ballou is one of those people that you're always going to be laughing when you're around him or hearing him. So you definitely want to check out the flagship podcast interview with Chip and Bob that was released on Monday.
0: Yeah, Bob is a, a fun guy to chat with and always some interesting perspective. And we even get him to reveal who, what posters were up in his room as a child growing up in Dallas. So um, you don't want to miss that from Bob Baloo, get to know the person a little bit more um, in addition to him serving you up sports weeknights and in his Sunday sports special. So Taylor, as we, we, you know, get ready for a big 12 football media days, there are some questions that have sort of come up and, and well, before we get into the questions, what are, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to from hearing from Steve Sarkeesian or from Bijan Robinson or from Keandre Coburn, Coburn or any of the, the invitees to big 12 football media days this week?
1: You know, I think one of the questions for Candace. Keandre Coburn excuse me you hiccuped on his name mine too (laughs) but I think the biggest question it is right I think the biggest question I have for him and it's not to be offensive or anything but you know he was left off the media selection for the all big 12 team where Bijan Robinson was selected to that team. I was a little surprised to see that Keandre Coburn was not included in the first team, all big 12, uh, preseason team, I should say. So I, you know, he's the type of player that he has a motor. He has some fire inside of him. As you said, he's a constant, you know, rotunda of entertainment, hilarious, but he also has that fire inside. I want to see how he's going to use, you know, him being left off some of these preseason lists as motivation as he uh, enters his, what is it? His red shirt junior season is it now that? Right. Yeah. So um, I think that's something that will be interesting to hear him talk about openly because I think if anybody you know on that team is going to talk openly about that, it would be Kyandrick Coburn. But that that's a big one for me. You know, we talked to Steve Sarkeesian a lot. I think we're probably going to hear a lot of the same you know things that we have heard from him a bit. Um, Leading, you know, after spring and entering the summer months. So, um, you know, that'll be good. And then plus with Bijan Robinson, you know, Chip, with the new NIL laws that went into effect on July 1st, Bijan announced last week that he was, um, you know, representing Raising Canes, which is a large fast food type of company in the South, especially, but it's all over the place. I mean, they have been, I know, in California now where my family lives. And so I think that I'm curious to hear what type of NIL ventures that he has either on the horizon or that he's been working on it or how these have kind of played out. That's a big deal, especially right now. So those are probably the main things I'm looking forward to hearing from the Texas uh, representatives. What about you?
0: Yeah. And, uh, on, the, and I, on the NIL front, that is, that's going to be everybody's waiting to hear about a big deal for a high profile player. Like if, if Trevor Lawrence was still in college football at Clemson, you know, there's a thought that he could be a six figure NIL guy, right? Because companies would want to be getting in with him as soon as possible Mm -hmm. because they, they know he's going to be in the NFL. He's going to be high pick. And for these high-profile college players, I mean, you've already seen speculation about Arch Manning. I'm like, okay, can we can we get a player who's currently uh, on the field who's got some name recognition? And one of those guys you would think is Spencer Rattler. Now we're not gonna at OU. You're, we're not gonna get to talk to him because he's not coming. But Bijan Robinson is a guy who's seen as the next certainly at Texas in terms of the high profile running backs. And, and he seems like a humble guy. He seems like a a guy who's just what you want, a hardworking, humble, hungry, uh, likable star. And Mm -hmm. so I agree with you and, and I'm really interested in seeing who some of these, companies are really willing to, to bet on in terms of the, the high profile college players. Cause we don't have, it seems right now, the high profile, we don't have a Trevor Lawrence. We don't have, um, you know, a Justin Fields who came into the season with so much hype last year. It's, it's kind of Spencer Rattler. And then, you know, you've got some, some new faces, especially at Alabama and Clemson, so that's what everyone's waiting to see. Who's going to really cash in and how much can you cash in? If you listened to our interview with Bob Bullsby on the flagship podcast interview from you know 10 days ago, he said not, not many are gonna make money off of this. And he said a lot of student athletes are gonna be too lazy to really work at it, to really put in the time and effort on their social media to make it worth a company's while to have them put big bucks into them so it's it's going to be interesting because when someone does break the bank when someone does you know command that six figures it's going to be hard for the amateur model to hold up it's going to be hard for for the NCAA to say hey these are amateur athletes these are not employees these are amateur athletes and everyone's going to be looking at it going. Yeah, that's that's a nice amateur status with six <laughs> figures. So, yeah, it, it, these it is going amateurs
1: to are going to be making more than what most people in the United States make on an annual basis. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the largest one so far from football has been Deer King, right? That 20, I think he had like a twenty thousand dollar deal that he signed with the Miami moving company or something along those lines, but still you bring up a great point there, chip. I mean, Miami obviously is no, you know, slum or anything like that, but it hasn't been the same Miami that it was, you know, in previous decades. So, um, that seems to be the biggest one right now, but you know, Spencer Rattler was also assigned to raising canes. I'm curious, you know, how, how much these players are getting paid for that, not from one. And then secondly, when, as you mentioned, when that next, the big deal is going to drop, I have a feeling it would probably be with a Spencer Rattler type of guy, because let's be honest. I mean, look back since the start of the two thousands, how many non quarterbacks have won the Heisman? What like three (laughs) in 20 years? I mean, it's just, it's the quarterbacks are always the headliners. Texas is breaking in two new ones. So they're probably not going to be the ones that are going to get the big deals. Even looking at B. John Robinson's cameo account, you know, he's charging more for cameos than Casey Thompson is. And that's that's fair. You know, I mean, I think that, at this point, he has a much bigger platform going into and spotlight on him going into this season compared to what a normal starting Texas quarterback probably would have. Like if Sam Ellinger were returning, he may have been a hundred thousand dollar type of representative, not so much because he's going to be the number one draft pick or anything like that, but more so because you brought up a good point. Guys like him, guys like Bijan Robinson, they're very marketable. They're very likable. They have a large following and that's the type of person you want representing your company. I would imagine if you're going to employ amateur athletes.
0: Right. And you can have an agent now Mm -hmm. who can represent you in these deals. So we know that the agents are always trying to get in with the players. They are certain are going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. So It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see how this plays out. And because look, you're always trying to get the best deal. You're always trying to sign them at the lowest possible figure for the longest possible time. Mm -hmm. And some of these college students are like, Oh wow. I haven't seen this kind of money before, not knowing what it's going to be like once they are in fact a top NFL draft pick. And we know Those endorsement deals can be in the millions, so it's gonna be fun to watch how this plays out. And I'm all for it, I'm all for these student athletes getting whatever they want. I've said if a booster wants to throw 300,000 at a kid and say that I'm paying him 300,000 to represent my company, and that kid may or may not pan out, but the booster wants to throw that kind of money at the kid, I say fair market, you know, I mean, it's, that's the way it goes. And if you've been paying attention to Mike Roach and what he's been writing about, this stuff is going to play a key role in recruiting who can land big deals and then show them off Mm -hmm. to others and say, well, our guy got this from that company and you, you want to be getting that too. So it's, uh, it's, right now we have a small sample size, but we're watching it. And so, yes, I agree. Bijan Robinson and the the questions about NIL uh, will be, will be fun. All right. So let's start off with some questions that we expect to uh, get into at, at big 12 football media days this week. One of them uh, comes in from one of our members at horns 24 um, seven kind of based on what uh, we wrote about in the Insider last week. Talked to a college coach who's familiar with Texas personnel, Big 12 personnel. And that coach kind of gave a well, it was anonymous, but gave some interesting analysis about the Texas offense. And so um, the question uh, is for Texas, what is the bigger question mark? The Texas receiving core or the Texas offensive line? And Taylor, I think it's hard to argue with what the coach said in the insider last week and in breaking down the receiving numbers from last year, totally unimpressed and felt like there's no receiver that scares you, uh, at least that was on the field last year and no receiver who threatens to take the top off a defense like a Devin Duvernay. And, and then, you know, or is a big, strong receiver that you have to double team like a Colin Johnson or a little Jordan Humphrey and Josh Moore, the leading receiver on the team last year was erased by the three best defenses that Texas faced last year, West Virginia, Oklahoma state and Iowa state. He had one catch in those three games that can't happen um, you can't have your leading receiver erased by the three best defenses you face. That's, that's crazy. So I'm, I'm leaning more toward the the question mark being the receiving core. Now we've heard good things about Xavier worthy, the um, incoming freshman who's on campus going through workouts. And we've heard that he's been impressive and, you know, but this is with shorts on, you know, I'm. we got to see when defensive backs get their hands on this guy, what, what it's like, because Texas struggled to get off press coverage. I have a pretty good feeling about the Texas offensive line from a run game standpoint, because they were able to run it pretty well last year. Now there were some breakdowns in pass protection and that's got to get cleaned up and the ability to pick up twists and stunts as we've seen the last couple of years against OU that's, that's an Alex Grinch thing. He likes to play a lot of games up front and had tons of success two years ago against Texas when they had the 15 tackles for loss and nine sacks. And, and so, but I have a feeling that Kyle flood will get that stuff cleaned up. My question mark right now because we haven't seen it would be the receiving core and the ability to have a, have, you know, a receiver that you have to game plan for as a defensive coordinator, not just be like, Hey, we can line up, man, on, on all these guys and we're fine, which I mean, the coach and the insider last week said Jordan Whittington looked a step slow last year, even when he had the 10 catches against OU. So Interesting conversation, Taylor, and and Steve Sarkeesian will be asked about what he expects from this Texas receiving core.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, Chip. And, you know, I think that a lot of fans, when they looked – Back on spring practice, they looked at the spring game and they looked at the offensive line that gave up a ton of sacks. I think that's what's led the charge with people jumping to say that the offensive line is the biggest concern for Texas entering this year. A big part of that, though, Chip, is, you know, Derek Kerstetter wasn't even there. And while they still have to figure out the rotation and how they're going to line up on the offensive line. That's a big piece of the puzzle that was not even available to go through spring or anything. So I think receiver is a big question mark too. No doubt. I I thought, you know, what the coach said in the insider, if you did not check out the insider, definitely head on over there from uh Thursday because it was it was jam-packed with information from as Chip mentioned, you know, a coach that is familiar with Big 12 offenses in Texas and everything. And I think that, you know, the the question mark of a receiver is legitimate because you're right. You know, there's, there's not the guy that's going to take off, you know, like Devin Duvernay did. There's not the even jump ball really type of threat that uh, end zone type of threat receiver, like, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson was when they both were, you know, playing at their, their best for Texas. But the other thing that, I still think is a question is quarterback chip. Like I think, you know, receiver definitely is. I think Texas adding Xavier Worthy was huge. And I think there's going to be a lot of Eyeballs on him because he has the speed of a Devin Duvernay if he's if not faster than Devin Duvernay. Plus, he seems to be a very dynamic playmaker. I mean, back in 2018, Deshaun Jameson played cornerback or played wide receiver instead of cornerback because Texas was lacking that, you know, really speedy type of dynamic playmaker at wide receiver. So his development got stunted because of how far behind, I think, the wide receiver position has been for several years, aside from, you know, the one or two or three, I guess, over the last four years of the Tom Herman era standout players. Um, But at the same time, Chip, I mean, Texas is bringing in a new quarterback. And so I am curious to see which is the bigger question at this point to me. It's which one is the bigger question between receiver and quarterback. And I know there's a lot of people that are not going to agree with that. Um, Texas has two capable quarterbacks and I'm not trying to question either one of them, but they still have not started a single game at the college level. And, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian, if anybody's going to be able to kind of maneuver the quarterback situation, it probably will be Steve Sarkeesian. You know, I don't think that he would have taken the job, to be honest, or he probably would have listened to other job opportunities aside from Texas if there was not at least some sort of quarterback he believed that he could win with on the roster. But to me, Chip, you know, while wide receiver absolutely is a question, I think that people are overlooking the fact that quarterback needs to be a question until proven otherwise, in my opinion right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of upside. There are small sample sizes um, at the quarterback position. You know, Casey Thompson's play against UTEP, K-State, and Colorado is what we have, and it's good. I mean, six touchdowns, no picks, 71% completion rate, Um, but again, small sample size, and the coach and the insider last week said the guy didn't know what to make of Casey Thompson coming out of high school and was very intrigued to see how comfortable and decisive he was in the Alamo bowl. And he felt like that probably jumped off the screen to Steve Sarkeesian too. And, and everyone wants to see if, if Casey Thompson can either pick up where he left off or build on it. I don't think anyone's expecting him to complete 80% of his passes Mm -hmm. and lead, you know, the team to points on every drive, like he did in the Alamo bowl, but certainly a good debut. I mean, that's, that's what you want. You want a guy out there looking like he owns the joint and and is connecting with a bunch of different receivers I mean he hit he hit uh he hit Josh Moore he hit Calvante Dixon he hit uh the tight end Cade Brewer he he spread it around it it looked good he, he threw a touchdown pass to Bijan Robinson so that that um that's an interesting point that's a good uh solid point way to go off the off the uh, grid there, Taylor, and, and add in your own question mark. Uh, but that's, I mean, my gosh, Steve Sarkeesian is going to get a ton of questions on the, on the quarterback situation. All right, here's another one. Why is Oklahoma's defense getting so much love going into the 2021 season? Everyone knows about Spencer Rattler. They know about Kennedy Brooks. They know about Eric Gray, the Tennessee transfer, and that Lincoln Riley... Calling the shots means usually 40 points per game for the Oklahoma Sooners offense. But um, Oklahoma did lose some guys on defense. They lost both corners. Now, some would say good riddance, but Trey Brown played a lot of football at OU. He's a smaller guy, but he made some plays. He He had the play of the year in 2018 when he sacked Sam Ellinger in the end zone. Uh, in the Big 12 title game, but you know they they lost Ronnie Perkins, they're one of their stud defensive ends. But Taylor, they do have returning six guys who've seen a lot of action uh, in their front seven, including Isaiah Thomas, who had eight and a half sacks last year. Perion Winfrey, who's a you know load at the nose tackle position, a lot like Keandre Coburn a veteran who just stuffs the run and, and then, you know, Nick Benito's a guy who comes off the edge. He's kind of there, Joseph Osai. And, and so when you look at that and you see all that experience up front, that's where you, you give them the benefit of the doubt factor, right? And Alex Grinch's his team, his defenses have gotten better each year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, all three of those players that you mentioned, Chip, they were Phil Steele's preseason All Big or um, All Big Twelve team type of players, and I I think the the X factor here is since Alex Grinch has taken over the Oklahoma defense, the units have gotten better year after year, and now that can turn real quick. Texas fans know that can turn real quick. We've seen how I haven't seen a defensive coordinator in my career, make it past year three on the job. So that obviously can change, especially when you are going against the high powered type of offenses that the, um, you know, the big 12 fields year after year. But I think that that trio, you know, Perry and Winfrey, the um, defensive tackle, Isaiah Thomas, defensive end, and Nick Bonita, the linebacker, that's a stacked type of you know, three trio type of uh, group, I guess you could say in the front seven on any defense. And especially in for Oklahoma, because as everybody knows, Oklahoma is always looking at the offense because they have one of the best offensive minds in the sport, in the game, and not just at college level. I mean, how many NFL teams would kill to hire Lincoln Riley? Tons, tons would. And so the, you know, the, the spotlight's usually not shine on the defense it's always on the offense. But when you look at the track record, when you look at what Alice Grinch has been able to do since he took over for Mark Stoops at Oklahoma, this has been a total different transition. This is a defense that gets better every single year so far. And, you know, with those type of players, which are six players returning um, to the defense that have substantial experience, I mean, obviously corners are huge. It's one of the toughest positions, in my opinion. You know, every coach I talk to will say the toughest position you can play in college football or any football level of football is corner. Um, That's going to be difficult, you know, for them to replace. But I think at this point, Alex Grinch has earned the benefit of the doubt. And I think if Oklahoma... Is going to actually compete for a national championship, not just make it to the college football playoff, but actually be one that could win the college football playoff. It's this year because of that defense, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And that, no, they were right behind Iowa State in run defense. Iowa State, which has nine starters back on defense, uh, gave up 103 yards rushing per game, and Oklahoma gave up 105 yards rushing per game. And both teams were right around uh, 21 points per game given up. So that's where, quite honestly, that's where Texas wants to be this year. They Texas gave up 28.5 points per game last year. And you'd love to shave a touchdown off of that number and be right around 20, 21 points per game. Remember, Todd Orlando got a raise uh, to you know, over a million dollars after his first year as defensive coordinator at Texas, when Texas gave up 21 points per game. So and
1: then he got a, fired after they gave up 27 points per game right. in three. So yeah. And
0: then in came Chris Ash, who gave up 28 points per game. He gave up but, more.
1: Yeah. In less games too, which is yeah, <laughs>
0: how about, uh, yeah. Well, now (laughs) is in in the NFL and Jay Valai is at Alabama of, I mean, who knows hard to predict what uh, what's coming next, but I do, I I will say this. I'll continue to say this. Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, Texas defensive coordinator, I think is a huge X factor this year. The coach in the insider last week said people talk about Gary Patterson's defenses at TCU and this coach said, I think they're going to be talking about Pete Kwiatkowski's defenses the same way uh, in short order. That's how good Pete Kwiatkowski is in a lot of coaches' minds. I mean, I've had NFL uh, you know, personnel call me and say, you do realize how good Pete Kwiatkowski is, right? Like he said, call the Cowboys. They've been drafting you know, Pete Kwiatkowski players since he was at Boise. Um, and so, and with Demarcus Lawrence is, is a Boise guy who was developed by Pete Kwiatkowski. So, uh, it's going to be fun. And, and that's another set of questions that, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is going to get at big 12 football media days. All right, Taylor, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, okay. Here's a question we got that I think is interesting. Why would you put Texas ahead of TCU or Oklahoma state at this point? I'll let you go first on this one, Taylor.
1: You know, I know that our listeners probably are not going to enjoy hearing this. I don't know if I would right now, Chip. I think that, you know, people look at what Texas record was last year. They're thinking, I think a lot of fans in their mind think, well, Tom Herman got fired after a seven and three season, only three losses. So Steve Sarkisian better win a lot more games in year one. I don't think that's a fair assessment. First of all, um, I think that Texas, any or not just Texas, but any time, more times than not, I should say not, not any time or every time, but more times than not, when a program is bringing in not just a new head coach, but entirely new coaching staff, entirely new personnel staff, entirely new strength and conditioning coaches, um, you know, st- all different you know, schemes on all three phases of the game, expecting that team to be a substantial improvement from the previous year is not really fair at that point if the previous coach only had three losses. I mean, this is not a Charlie Strong deal where they went five and seven and that's why he got fired. No, Tom Herman got fired for reasons outside of the win-loss record from the 2020 season. So with all of that said, you know, breaking in a new starting quarterback, the linebacker position still remains a big question mark. There's a lot of bodies that they do have to replace on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you look at, at uh, TCU, I mean, they have what, I think 18 returning starters, 10 on offense and eight on defense from last year. And I think that Oklahoma state has, I mean, a substantial double digit, you know, returning starters on both sides of the ball. I think that they're at like, I think 15 or 18, something like that too. That is, that to me, without having a you know new head coach, new totally new coaching staff, I, it's hard for me to argue to put Texas ahead of both of those. Now, I think that Texas has probably more talent than both of those teams. Um, absolutely, actually. I think that Texas has done a really good job at recruiting, the one thing that you can't really criticize Tom Herman and his coaching staff at Texas for was the, their ability to recruit. They really did bring some talent to the team. Now they haven't necessarily been developed the proper way to really live up to the talent at every position. You know, some of the top guys definitely have not, but I do think that there is talent on the roster. So if somebody was going to put Texas, in my opinion, ahead of TCU and Oklahoma state, it's because of. The ability that you know, the success that Texas has seen over the last several recruiting cycles, um, and landing a lot of the top talent out there. However, I, I mean, if I if I were making a prediction, like leading up to the season, I'm not saying in season. I think I would probably put Texas at least behind TCU at this point. You know, TCU, both Oklahoma State and TCU have returning quarterbacks that are substantially, you know, longtime starters between Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. And then Max Duggan at TCU. Um, And then, you know, add in the experience around there, plus not the off the field type of changes or any of the, you know, adversity that comes with a whole new coaching staff coming in. It's really hard for me to put Texas ahead of both of those schools. And I know, I know our listeners are not going to be thrilled to hear that, but really in reality, I mean, both of those teams were, I mean, if they weren't around the same level of Texas last year or better I mean, sure, Oklahoma State beat Texas, but didn't they finish with a better record than Texas? I mean, like, weren't they eight and three at the end of the year last year? Texas was seven and three. They had one less game. TCU beat Texas. You know, they always beat Texas, it seems. They were, I think, six and four last year. I mean, it's not really much, in my opinion, aside from projecting this talent that Texas has on the roster to really develop and, you know, take, you know, take the, or turn the corner a little bit, I guess I would say it's really no reason for me at this point to put Texas around ahead of either of those schools
0: Yeah, leading up to the season. Right. It's a, it's a valid point because I think you, you look at Oklahoma state with last year, they had Chuba Hubbard, LD Brown, uh, Desmond Jackson at running back. And you're thinking no, one's going to run the ball like Oklahoma state. And then, you know, they had offensive line issues and Spencer Sanders gets hurt and misses games. And then when he comes back, he's not, he's not as electric, you know, obviously he had an ankle injury, so those can nag you the whole year. The offense suffered. Last year at Oklahoma State, it was not what we thought, and they had Tylen Wallace for crying out loud. Tylen Wallace was so far and away the best receiver in this league the last two years that it makes me wonder: okay, is Oklahoma State's offense going to be able to regain its mojo? It should if everyone comes into the year healthy, but no Tylen Wallace. That that makes me. Wonder and normally Oklahoma State always has guys. Heck, they had a kid, um Garrett Bresley, show up in the cheese it bowl against Miami and he caught three touchdowns. I've never even heard of this kid, you know. He's another kind of Tyreek Hill little speedster guy. So Mike Gundy always has always has skill talent, it seems. And then you look at TC and and as you mentioned, Oklahoma State's defense has uh let me double check this, but I think it's either nine or it's, 10 starters back.
1: Yeah. around. Um, I think it's eight, eight starters. I think they have returning. eight
0: starters back. Sorry. They get trace Ford back from a, an injury up front. Um, they've got to replace, uh, their corners who were fantastic and, you know, open Miga their linebacker, they got to replace him, but They still have Malcolm Rodriguez. They still have guys. Their defense was actually better than their offense last year, which is rare at Oklahoma State. Now, TCU, the defense is always good, and they led the league in rushing last year. And Zach Evans was a bit player. averaged 7.7 a carry, he's going to become a bigger factor. And former Texas commit uh, Quentin Johnston looked like the next big thing at receiver in this conference as a freshman last year. And I thought he played better than Jalen Rager the year before for TCU and Max Duggan, who's a dual threat quarterback. He's going to be playing under Doug Meacham. Uh, Sonny Cumbie has left and gone to Texas tech, gone back to Texas tech where he played. Uh, There had been some strain between Gary Patterson and Sonny Cumbie and Taylor, most of that was because Max Duggan was a young quarterback. Gary doesn't have a lot of patience. And so TCU was trying to develop Max Duggan, had growing pains. He always seemed to play well against Texas, but he had some rough games against other competition. TCU was kind of middle of the road the last couple of years. I expect Max Duggan to be really good this year. So I agree. I I see Texas and TCU both in that nine and three Level and Oklahoma State to me is either going to be nine and three if they go beat Boise it in, in in Boise Boise State uh, Boise State has a new coach Andy Avalos um, you know Brian Harson is now at Auburn but Boise's loaded and that's a tough road trip for Oklahoma State Oklahoma State tends to win the games that they're supposed to win so. I think it's fascinating. I, I see Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State all right there at that nine and three level, and and Oklahoma and and Iowa State just a, a shade above. So um, I'm not sure that I have them above TCU or Oklahoma State. I kind of have them right there. They could be in a three way tie for.
1: I was just going to say that three way tie for third right third. now, probably entering By the tie. season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's, I totally agree. I think it's there. There's just really at this point, if if you're not looking at projecting how players should play at the college level, if we're taking that out of the equation, it's really hard to put either, you know, Texas ahead of either of those schools.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And kind of similar in that they all three need to get better on the offensive line and have some playmakers develop, Uh, On the outside, although, like I said, Quentin Johnston at TCU. That guy looks like he's going to be a problem for a while. All right, Taylor, before we get to love it or leave it, which Big 12 team will most fall short of expectations this season? And I'm going to say Baylor. Um, I still am just kind of mystified that Charlie Brewer chose to leave and use his COVID redshirt year at Utah after leading Baylor to the big 12 regular season championship two years ago. And then the offense struggled so badly at Baylor last year that the Baylor fans turned on Charlie Brewer. And he was like, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going to go to Utah. That is such a bad sign for me that, things are not moving in the right direction. And obviously um, you've got, you know, Dave Aranda's trying to figure it out. I've always said, if you're a defensive minded coach, you're going to be made or broken by your offensive coordinator hire. And after one year, he's, he's moving on. Um, but I just, I'm not feeling it from Baylor. And, and so I, um, you know, he's got Jeff Grimes as his offensive coordinator. Now I just feel like they're still in transition and look, I wouldn't wish a new coach and a new coaching staff trying to get going in 2020 on anyone. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't see Baylor having a a bowl eligible season this year.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. You know, I think I think it depends on who you're asking. I think if we're asking Texas fans, I think the big 12 team that will most disappoint will be Texas. Cause there is, you know, how we mentioned earlier, I mean, the expectations entering, you know, a first year head coach that hasn't been a head coach for how many years, you know, are, are substantially high. And I don't necessarily think that they're realistic so I think if we're asking Texas fans, I, I imagine that some Texas fans expect Texas to compete for a Big 12 title, and I think that's that's not reasonable expectation. So if that is what people's expectations are, then I would probably pick Texas to you know be the biggest disappointment. However, if we're looking at the overall conference from an outside perspective, I think that Baylor is has to be the choice. I mean, not only you bring up a good point, you know, I know people don't want to hear like the excuses. But not only did Baylor have to handle, you know, breaking in an entirely new coaching staff during 2020 in a pandemic year where they had very little time around them, they were also breaking in a first ever head coach. I mean, Dave Aranda never was a head coach at the college football level prior to last year. So he was already entering, you know, unfamiliar territory entering 2020 before the pandemic hit. I mean, that that was just... recipe for disaster in my opinion I think that Dave Aranda um you know he he's got to get the offensive coordinator situation figured out it worries me it kind of in a way reminds me a little bit of like Charlie Strong you know defensive-minded head coach struggled to figure out who his offensive coordinator was he was gone in year three I would hope that the Baylor brass doesn't do that to Dave Aranda, especially all things considered with what he had to deal with his first year at the school, but also his first year as a head coach. I mean, it's going to be very difficult. I think Phil Steele has um, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and Baylor all tied as seventh in the conference. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Baylor's ninth at the end of the year, just because, you know, all things considered with that first year kind of is a blip on the radar a little bit, and probably not something that is going to be easy to build upon because recruiting was probably hurt by that. You know, I mean, Dave Miranda does not have the the connections in the state of Texas that some of the other, you know, Art Bryles had back in the day. Even that rule, the thing with that rule is they start winning, and that helps recruiting. Winning always helps when it comes to that. So I think that. I think I have to agree with you on this. I think that Baylor may be the biggest disappointment or not disappointment. I shouldn't say that. That's a harsh word to say, but the team that probably does not meet expectations, I could imagine them being almost like a Kansas this year. Now, I I could be totally wrong. We don't know. We don't know what the Baylor is going to be without Charlie Brewer. Um, I also agree with you on that. I thought I could not believe the way that Baylor fans treated him (laughs) last year. I mean, it was like, the same Charlie Brewer that like had how many concussions yet still led the team to an 11 and one season the year prior. Like that's the same guy we're all talking about here that you guys want gone. Like it was crazy to me. um I, I feel for Dave Aranda going through that situation because he probably didn't have much of a say in the matter, but I'd also, you know, don't blame Charlie Brewer for leaving because of how loud the Baylor fans were and open about how they wanted him gone. It was BS, in my opinion, like that's the, I couldn't believe that that was how they treated the same guy that led them to an 11-1 season the year prior. So um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of still, it's still an uphill battle in Waco right now. I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah. Larry Fedora was running the offense last year. He was an analyst at Texas the year before and one season and done for Larry Fedora at Baylor. As we mentioned, Jeff Grimes now Gonna try and put the pieces back together for the Baylor offense, and and Dave Aranda had two starters returning on defense last year. Um, Terrell Bernard is still there, the the tackling machine linebacker for Baylor. So uh, Dave Aranda's doing something right to still have uh, Terrell Bernard still there, and um, he had a, a season-ending. Uh, shoulder injury that he's coming back from. So we'll see if they can figure it out, at least on defense, because they do have more starters back uh, this season. They have nine starters back on defense. So um, we shall see. All right, Taylor, uh, it is Big 12 Football Media Days week. We will have another edition of the flagship podcast later in the week recapping Big 12 Football Media Days. But uh, you know what time it is, right?
1: I do. Well, first, we're going to take a very quick break, but when we return, we will bring in everybody's favorite segment, Love It or Leave It, where we will focus a little bit more on Texas football, including the MLB draft with some Longhorns going in that. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, you ready for some Love It or Leave It?
0: Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. All
1: righty. All right. My first one for you is you were surprised Ty Madden fell to number 32 overall in the MLB draft on Sunday night. Love it or leave it.
0: A little bit, a little bit. Ty Madden, um, you know, the scouts I had talked to thought he would be mid first round. I know MLB pipeline had him as a top 10 type of pick, uh, but he did end up going 32nd overall to the Detroit Tigers, who also took uh, a pitcher with the number three overall pick. And, And so, you know, in talking to MLB scouts, they are a little bit, they don't quite know what his profile is in the big leagues. Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? He's physically... Impressive at six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds. He throws, you know, his fastballs regularly at ninety five miles an hour. It touches ninety nine, and he's got a good slider. But after that, his changeup is uh, needs work, and his curveball needs work. So you can't be a star- you can't be a starter in the big leagues with with just those two pitches with, I mean, you have to have fastball slider these days and you need a high, you know, now it's all about the high rotation on that slider so that it looks exactly like your fastball. And, and, and it just leaves, you know, hitters befuddled, but he needs a little bit of work on either the changeup or the curveball to, to have a three pitch arsenal. And so I, I get it. Now I talked to a AL West scout, today about it, who felt like Madden would go late in the first, but said the Tigers did a great job of, of picking Ty Madden there. You know, it, it, it was, it was the guy who was falling and the Tigers ended up, you know, adding another young arm to an already impressive group of young arms. The Tigers are seen as, you know, having the next wave of you know, top young pitching because they've been terrible and they've been drafting a lot of top young pitching. but so I think the jury's still out on time Madden. If he tightens up that change up or the curveball, we know he's a bulldog. We know he can strike people out. He heck, he struck out 18 in his two appearances in the College World Series. So little surprise that it fell all the way to 32, but man, That could be that could end up being a steal for the Tigers, Taylor. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna love this. That a little bit surprised. How about you?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna love it. I was surprised he fell that far. I thought he was gonna be maybe around a 20th type of pick um, this year. But I I agree. I mean, there there's some mechanics that he has to work on, you know. But his fastball is filthy and his slider is extremely filthy. I think the Tigers absolutely got a deal of a pick, at least at this point. Um, however, my message to the tigers is don't mess this one up because I have personal connections to somebody who they messed up bad. So time Madden, if you're listening, if they ask you to lift heavy upper body weights, don't do that's my only message that I have to you because they ruined my brother's career by making him do that. um, coming in in winter conditioning one year when he uh, was a first round draft pick to the tigers too. So that uh, was a huge mistake. You know, my dad was all over my brother saying, don't do it. Nolan Ryan lifted heavy, lower body, not upper body. You don't do that. My brother comes home and he's like added 30 pounds to his upper body. And you're like, who are you? I, I will never forget when I first saw him, I was kind of like, and I've even since I've since I've become, you know, in more an adult in in sports and stuff. I've asked him before. I'm like, so be real. Did the Tigers ever inject you with steroids? Because how the hell did you gain as much weight? And he's like, no. He's like, I wish they did because it may have helped my my arm hold up better than the way that they did handle it. So, yeah. um, not to get off topic, but yeah, I think that this was a steal of a pick i if they try to get you to lift heavy, upper body weight, don't listen to it. I would hope the tigers have a better strength and conditioning staff now than they did in 1995, but who knows? So that organization can be really, really hit or miss sometimes. Cause as you yeah. know, you're a tiger's fan. I mean,
0: oh, I know you up in
1: Michigan, so uh, you know the, all roar,
0: the roar of 84, that's all that's all we have. Um, <laughs> okay. There's a nugget for you from, uh, from Taylor Estes, whose brother, <laughs> Was a first round draft pick of the Detroit Tigers in uh in '94. So um, all right, Taylor, love it or love leave it. it. Numero two, numero dos.
1: All right. My second one is love it or leave it. You were surprised to see Bijan Robinson as a sophomore selected to go to Big 12 media days for Texas.
0: Yes, I'm loving this. Um, I, I'm loving it because I was indeed surprised. We're so You know, coaches are, they're concerned about having young players go in front of the media for a number of reasons. They could say something that they shouldn't say. They might get nervous. They might get, you know, talked into situations that they didn't expect to be in, on and on. You you want your most veteran players to go because they've handled it. Most of the time, they've just been coached into saying nothing. Um, by the PR staffs, uh, at their respective schools, no they offense, get
1: the script, the right. script that no, they no have to read before to you those. talk to us,
0: right? No <laughs> offense to those PR staffs. We understand that, uh, you're just taking directions from, from your head coaches, but yes, very, uh, very surprised. Love this love that, uh, Bijan Robinson is going to be a big 12 football media days as a sophomore. Thought he handled himself well when he spoke to the media last year, gave thoughtful answers. I think in talking to teammates, they respect Bijan Robinson because he works as hard as he does and is still working that hard, despite getting some some love, some magazine covers for his for his freshman season. And heck, he didn't even get a hundred carries last year. I mean, if he did, Tom Herman might still have a job. So I'm I'm excited. I'm excited that Bijan Robinson is is going to be at Big 12 football media days. How about you, Taylor?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'm going to love this and say I'm surprised. I'm glad that this is the case though because I, I get the whole idea of allowing seniors or upperclassmen to represent at media days, especially when there's such. So, I mean, every media outlet is out there, national, local, regional, whatever it is. I mean, they're all there. So I get that you want to make sure that you have the most well-coached up players that are used to having the media ask tough questions. And then, as you mentioned, kind of being coached to not answer those questions, because that's exactly what they are, you know, basically media relations people, a lot of their job responsibilities is making sure that the players don't say something like that's going to be you know, a bad representation on the university or the player itself. Um, however, I think th- he's the star of this team. Like, let's be honest, Bijan Robinson is the headliner for the 2021 Texas Longhorns, just like Spencer Rattler is the headliner for the Oklahoma Sooners in 2021. I was shocked that Oklahoma did not have Spencer Rattler come, especially since he's a redshirt sophomore. So he's technically sure he's only played two years, but he's technically an upperclassman at this point that was, you know, that blew my mind personally that they did not have him. I think that Steve Sarkeesian gets it that he knows who the headliner is. And this is only going to help Texas, not just Texas, but also Bijan Robinson. I mean, it's going to help Texas in general. If you have your best spokespeople be the ones that you bring in front of the media. And it doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter, you know, anything about that. If they're the star of your team, it not only helps them, Just kind of learn on the fly. It also helps them get more deals, and that in the whole, you know, end of the NIL laws, the new laws that have come in play, that helps Texas because if they can tout that Bijan Robinson, you know, as a sophomore, got all these like huge sponsorship deals. You think they're not going to use that on the recruiting trail? They are. So having him be the representative, I think, is it is a surprise. It's a pleasant surprise, and I think it's the right move for Steve Sarkeesian. So kudos, Steve Sarkeesian, because. You know, bringing the players that people don't really know to media day just because they've, you know, earned the right or whatever, is kind of like no. Let's bring the best players that best represent the university, and that's what PJ Robinson is.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff right there. All right, love it or leave it, number three.
1: All right, that's my final one for you, Chip. But love it or leave it because Tom Herman got fired after going seven and three, that puts the heat on Steve Sarkeesian immediately. You
0: know, I'm going to leave this because I think you, and I've said the Texas fans and I know I'm kind of a broken record now, but um, I've said, you should hope for the Mac Brown scenario where Mac went nine and three his first year. He had a Heisman trophy winner and, And Ricky Williams, um, you know, got a signature win. His signature win was at Nebraska that year. Um, You should hope that Steve Sarkeesian beats OU this year. That Bijan Robinson is a Heisman finalist, and and that a nine and three year. Maybe there's a hiccup early. Maybe it's maybe it's to TCU. Maybe it's late against Iowa State, Um, but a nine and three year with signs of improvement with, you know, I always say the sign of a well coached team is week to week improvement. If this team can make improvement from week to week and you're seeing signs that they're well coached, they're not beating themselves, they're finishing games, they're not losing leads late They're not making questionable fourth down decisions or clock management issues that they're, you know, beating the teams they're supposed to beat for the most part. You just can't suffer those. Where did that loss come from loss? And that's, that's what uh, you're, you're hoping for in a transition year. I, I I remember thinking Tom Herman was going to have a much better first year at Texas than he had. And he he came in determined to to root out all the bad seeds that he perceived and he wanted to burn his culture in. It didn't matter who the, you know, playmakers had been. Hell, he basically dumped, you know, Ar- Armani Foreman and Chris Warren and those guys had been productive players for Texas. I didn't see that coming. Uh, But Tom Herman, by God, was going to send his message and he didn't care that it resulted in a six and six season. I don't think we're having those kinds of issues with Steve Sarkeesian for everything I've heard is he's been on the level with players, told him what the expectations were, told him in their their out interviews or exit interviews from spring. Okay, here's where you are. Here's where you've got to improve. Let's see how you address this when we resume in fall camp. There's talent. Um, There's question marks, but there's talent and coaching can make uh, some blemishes disappear or at least can hide them. So fascinating stuff. But I, I think part of the problem for Texas is you've had this disjointed leadership. You've had like, where did Steve Patterson come from? He hired Charlie Strong. That was a disaster. No offense to Charlie too, because he just shouldn't have been hired at that time. And, and then you, you know, Mike Perrin hires Tom Herman. Now you've got Chris Del Conte. And the aligned leadership, they bring in Steve Sarkeesian, who as Bob Ballou pointed out in the, in the flagship podcast interview this week, his best season is a nine win season nine and four at USC in 2014. He's not a guy who's won a conference championship. He's not won 10 games as a head coach. I think you have to give him a chance to get his culture in, get used to playing in the big 12, the adjustments, everything else. And he's got a new quarterback, first time starter at quarterback. Maybe the you know, the fact that Casey Thompson has been in three offenses in three years um, has developed some thick skin and some scar tissue that will help Casey Thompson. But typically, that's not the case, Taylor. Typically, you want a guy sitting and learning the same system that he's going to ultimately play in, not sitting and learning different systems. And then, hey, guess what? It's your turn and you got to learn a new system. <laughs> that's not ideal. So I think Texas fans have to remember all these things that, you know, these are student athletes and um, yeah, they've there's talent. You've seen the recruiting rankings, but there's just a lot that goes into it. So um, I'm going to leave this. I, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. There are going to be expectations. We've seen it. We've heard it. There are fans that are like, Oh, they should win 10 games this year. Oh, really? It, do you know how Casey Thompson's going to hold up all season long? Do you see a receiver who can consistently beat man in zone coverage? Do you, do you know these things yet? We know Bijan Robinson can play, um, but, and, and defensively, how quickly can these players, you know, grasp onto a new scheme under Pete Kukowski. So uh, Taylor, I'm going to leave that. Uh, how about you?
1: I'm going to agree. I'm going to leave this too. I mean, and for all things, you know, you said, and plus what I said earlier, I think that The reality is Tom Herman did not necessarily get fired because they lost three games last year. That is the reality of the situation. This was a totally different situation than when Tom Herman was hired to take over for Charlie strong. Do you expect, you know, substantial improvement in year one when you're taking over a five and seven team? Sure, absolutely. But that's not the situation. I think that all things considered, when you talk about bringing a, a head coach in who has not been a head coach for several years. He's learned under one of absolutely the best head coach in all of college football history, Nick Saban. So that's helped, you know, kind of coach him back into the game. Um, I think that then you add in the fact breaking a new starting quarterback, you mentioned this, who's the go-to receiver. We know that Jordan Winnington could possibly be the go-to receiver. He has not showed it. You know, there's just so many different variables that really play into this. I think that, you know, there are some Texas fans that if if Steve Sarkeesian does not win 10 games, they may say, oh, this was the wrong hire. I think those fans need to tap the brakes for sure and really look at the overall picture because that seven and three team last year very easily could have been a five and five team. I mean, let's be honest, that Oklahoma State game was kind of gifted to Texas. It really was like if you. If you take off your burnt orange glasses and really go back and watch that, those refs did nothing but help Texas win that game. And, and I hate blaming officiating for things. Obviously, it ended in Texas favor, so there were more happy Texas fans, which means our jobs are easier when fans are happy, you know, rather than angry about the outcome of the game. But that was just – that was not a team that was – you know, just lost some like heartache type of games. No, it was a team that shot itself in the foot over and over and over again. It's just some games ended in their favor when it probably shouldn't have. So, you know, all things considered, I think that there should not be added pressure on Steve Sarkeesian if Texas were to lose more than three games this year. I know that's not going to go over well. I know that I will probably get some angry DMs from people telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about or whatever, but that's the reality of the situation. It's a transition year. You know, there's no there's no excuses in football. I get that, but there are some factors that play into the outcome of a season, especially when you are breaking in a whole new coaching staff, you know, schemes on both sides of the ball, plus a head coach that has not been a head coach for several years. I mean, expecting him to, you know, field a Big 12 championship team in year one is just kind of Silly, in my opinion, Chip. I mean, that was, that's just, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, in my opinion, if that's what your expectations are for Texas in year one. I don't think the Texas brass feel that way. Um, you know, we'll, you'll probably get some fans that are very vocal about wanting to get rid of Steve Sarkeesian after year one. If they don't, you know, go to the big 12 title game, those fans probably just need to take a chill pill or just back off the ledge a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the record from last year should put any type of heat on Steve Sarkeesian, because it's just a different situation. It's not him taking over a losing team and then going and putting up a losing record. That's, that's not the case. It's not basically what Charlie strong came into when, you know, uh, a coach that went eight and five, then the next year they go six and seven. I mean, that's just not what the situation is and expecting him to win, you know, 10 games or more. You're just, I hate to say you have unrealistic expectations if that's the case. So I'm definitely going to leave this as well.
0: Right. I mean, Mac Brown did not win a conference championship until year eight. Mm -hmm. Year eight.
1: 98,
0: 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. Eight years. Matt Rule has won a big 12 regular season title. And he went one and 11 in year one at Baylor. There has to be some patience. I know um, it's not that way for Texas fans because they're, they've, they've got battered fan syndrome. They're sick and tired of, you know, they lived through the Charlie strong years. They lived through the hope of 2018 and the, the, the uh, of 2019 and 2020, but all those sins are not Steve Sarkisian's fault. So judge him and this staff based on are you seeing week to week improvement? Because Louisiana's no picnic. Louisiana's got a three-year starter qu- quarterback coming back, and you know, nineteen starters from a ten and one team. Their coach turned down Auburn. Billy Napier, who's a friend of Steve Sarkisian's, turned down Auburn to to come back and have hopefully an even better season at Louisiana to get an even better job. I mean, really he wants LSU, but you know, that we'll see what's going on with that overdrawn after this year. And, and it's amazing to me how quickly team schools turn on their coaches in the sec, you know, Gene Chiswick won a national championship at Auburn was fired two years later. It, and Auburn hasn't, you know, been able to really, you know Gus Malzahn's a good coach and they couldn't wait to fire him every year so yeah, yeah. just be patient Matt Campbell Matt Campbell was a 500 coach at Iowa State his first year now last year he goes what 8 and 1 9 and 1 in the regular season had they were the number 1 seed in the Big 12 title game last year they beat OU OU had two conference losses going into the big 12 championship game. Now, OU beat Iowa state, but you get my point, Matt Campbell, they're going to build a statue for that guy. And and it's taken a while for him to get the culture in. And now it's a winning culture at Iowa state. It's a winning culture um, at OU. And, you know, they've had consistency. Texas needs consistency. They don't need to have four different coaches in seven years. All right, Taylor, we're going to have another flagship podcast later this week. So we need to let the people rest a little bit, you know, between podcasts. So, um, great stuff today. Make sure you're checking out all the podcasts at horns 24 seven, uh, and join the horns 24 seven family. If you're not a member already. And, uh, for Taylor Estes, I am chip Brown. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll be back later this week. Until then, everybody, thanks for listening and stay safe and keep the faith.